morning, folks. Morning. Okay. Uh, that's better. So um, I, I do really want to, before I get into this morning, uh, I do really want to um, say that God is really speaking something um, that I think is tied in with everything that's happened this morning, sort of what um, Jean shared, the songs that Joe has shared, I think tied very well with what I believe God's asked me to speak on. Um, just to let you know, we've had two awesome sessions by Graham already on Titus 1 and Titus 2. And in that, he's talked about character. Um, he set the scene of what Titus is about in the sense that it's a letter that's written to a person who's in a leadership position over a number of churches. Um, and I really have two things that I want to speak into, pray into, uh, exhort and encourage today. Um, and in learning about this, I, I started to do some history into looking at, I, I'm a, I do love looking at history, certain parts of history I like to do, and so I thought, okay, let's start looking at some of the history of Crete. So when looking at Crete, it's important to understand the context of what Paul's talking about. Paul had visited Crete. It doesn't say why, but he left quite soon after and left Titus there. Um, and so the setting of Crete is that it's, Graham's already talked about, it's a sense of not the most upright and moral characters, would you say, that are living there. Um, there are quite a number of different cults that are going through. One of them was the cult of healing. The idea was that you basically prayed when you're sick to this particular deity and hopefully someone would listen to your prayer and you'd get saved or healed. So in the midst of that, they've got quite a lot of turmoil going on. There's, um, it was interesting, I was reading that actually the piracy of the whole Mediterranean started very much in Crete and was at its highest point around this time. So you've got those elements as well. We read in Acts when um, Peter talks to the uh, 3,000 that there were Jewish people from Crete that had come to that. So there was a Jewish element there. And the reason why I want to do this is because when I start talking about what Titus, uh, Paul talks to Titus, it ties in very much with this idea of what the Cretan culture was like. And I think it's important to also think about what our culture is and tying that in as well. Not just thinking, oh, well, that's good back there, but how does that apply to what we've got here? So let's start off reading... Oops. Uh, verse 2, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. That's the first thing. Now, looking at this, the idea is that the word remind uh, in the, is a present tense, so it's ongoing remind. So at some stage in the past, Paul has already talked about this, but he feels the need to remind again about what the people in the churches of Crete need to do. 
And I think it's quite interesting that when we're looking at what Paul's saying to Titus to speak on, he's saying that how can they have an influence on the culture of Crete? I've already painted the picture of what Crete was like. Not the most upright, full of pirates, full of people who worship cults and deities that were not really that great at all. Not, as Graham mentioned, the sense of their, uh, the stealers, liars, cheats, uh, murderers. That's the environment and the context. Now, in this country, we don't necessarily have that sense of outside being that sort of level that if we go outside, we could be killed at any moment. Because we have a number of laws that are in place that are in this country that often protect that. But there have been places and times in uh, the history of the church where things have not been like that. And I think that in this midst, Paul is saying to Titus, you need to remind people of the impact that the faith and the power of God inside us can have on the culture around us. And that's really crucial, is the fact that it's the sense of having this impact How can we have an impact on those around us? How can we overcome and change the things that are in this city, in this county, and in this land? That's what Paul's saying to Titus. One of the things was that when I got got saved in the early 90s, and uh, once I started to go into a a number of churches, I came across this idea of transformation of cities. And some of you may be aware of that there was a series of videos that took place. Um, I think it was George Otis Jr. released a whole series of videos called the Transformation Videos. And at the time, I found them extremely impacting. There was one um, particular story of a story in Guatemala and... The church I was in in Sydney, we actually sent a group over there, and they were actually first-hand to see actually what had happened. And there were quite many other stories. There was one in California, there was one in Kenya, there was one in uh, Colombia. And all these stories start with lots of crime, lots of drugs, lots of murder, lots of debauchery, lots of things that are not really great at all. And the overwhelming sense that starts is a sense of hopelessness. A sense of we can't actually understand what's going on and the sense of hopelessness. Now, I want to I lay a foundation that we as the Christian church are to impart hope into the culture around us. We are hope bringers, hope imparters. So when we go into an environment, we bring hope to the hopeless. Now, I'm not saying we as our own carnal nature, but the Holy Spirit that resides in us, the presence of God resides in us, is the one that brings hope into the situation. And I remember very clearly watching these videos and and the whole thing of the transformation of a city The one in Helmut, California was quite interesting because there were quite a lot of satanic uh, churches going, influencing, and so forth. 
But these people, these Christians came together and they said, we're not going to stand in the dark anymore. We're going to stand as believers in the light and we're going to pray and declare. And all of these particular cities all have a story of coming together, praying, declaring that we are going to have an impact on our city. We are going to have an impact because we carry the light within us. And when the team went to Guatemala in, um, I can't remember, the 90s, they were overwhelmed at how the transformation took place. A city, probably half the size of Worcester, full of crime, full of alcohol, full of idolatry, suddenly changed on fire, impacted by the presence of God because people who were Christians believed. So much so, it started to affect the agriculture because it was a farming culture. And there's quite a lot of stories of where they, I can't remember if it was carrots or whatever, these carrots coming up mega huge. Why? Because God was releasing blessing because the church was impacting the culture. And in all these situations, crime goes down, drug taking goes down. It's interesting, the one in Colombia, which I, I reviewed recently, the churches all came together in unity and stood up and said, enough is enough. The cartels were basically ruining society. And they came together and they prayed all churches coming together, 60,000 Christians coming together praying. And they said that within a week or two weeks, the two biggest cartel bosses were arrested and put in jail and the whole cartel come crumbling down. That is the power that resides within us. That's the power that we have to overcome and change. And when Paul's talking to Titus, he's saying, don't think about the fact that you've got all these pirates around, all these cults. You have the power in you to change and impact society. You have the power to radically transform the culture that's within you. And as I kept going through and reading, I was reading about all these stories, and um, I've got a number of people um, linked on Facebook, and Chris Vallotton. Uh, shared a story that uh, one of the major newspapers, I think, no, not the major news, news networks in America, had a, an article on Bethel, and they called it the Bethel effect on Reading. And I know the fact that Bethel has got a church that's much, much bigger, but the idea is still the same, that this is a church that has an idea of impacting society. I love the quote that Bill Johnson said. He said, revival has two phases. Revival starts where the people of God encounter God and are radically transformed. But stage two is where the people of God go out into the world and radically transform the society and the culture around them. That is what revival is. Being impacted, changed, affected, transformed into who God's called us to be. And then going out and impacting those around us. And we see, I was, I was quite amazed actually, quite a number of different videos were talking about the Bethel effect. In fact, actually, they went out and talked to people who were non-believers in Reading. And most of them know the Bethel church. And they actually came up with this phrase, oh yeah, the Bethel effect. The amount of 
generosity that they have. One of the things is 35,000 hours logging, going out into parks, cleaning up stuff. That is the effect of a church that's been impacted by God and going out. They own that city. They've owned it and having an impact. My call is what can we do? What can we do? And I want to make it very clear, folks. David was a really small person. Many people around him basically said, you can't go against Goliath because you're too small. But he stood in the power of God and he slayed a giant that was much, much bigger. And I want to I say to us today, I don't want us to think we're just a small church. I want to say that we have the power of God in us to radically change the environment that we live in. I, um, one of the things that I was quite, I suppose, excited uh, to hear this week, my wife works in um, hospital, and this week, the NHS Trust of Worcester was taken out of special measures. Now, for those who don't know, towards the end of last year, we prayed on a regular basis to bless the NHS Trust. We prayed and we prayed in the sense of overwhelming possibility, gone through CQC and failed three times in a row. And we stood up and we prayed ongoing. We've got a number of people who work in there and we prayed and we prayed. And not only has it, has it come out of special measures, my wife was saying that quite a number of different departments are now marked as good and that's amazing. That is amazing that actually the prayers that we've had have had an impact. And that's what I'm trying to say, folks. We can be an influence on our city. We can be an influence. This is what Paul's saying to Titus. Remind them all the time. Not just once, all the time. You can have an impact. You can have an impact. You can have an impact. Tell the people. The idea is that they're going to be that influence that affects outwards. So that's the first thing I want to say is the impact that we can have on our city. The second thing that I want to talk about comes from these next verses. So verses 3 to 7. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God and Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So the first two verses, Paul talks about the fact that how we as Christians are to be an influence in our culture. And then he slightly diverts and he talks about this sense of where we have come from. 
And I was thinking, as I was going through this, I was thinking, what, what is Paul trying to say and talk about in this moment? And I am a school teacher, and I come up with different ideas, and I have to give credit to God because he just drops ideas in the time. And, and I believe that God dropped this idea, and so I'm going to share this idea with you. So before salvation, because we uh, don't have anything that's inside of us that's from God, we are bombarded by the lies of the enemy. We're bombarded by fear. We're bombarded by shame. We're bombarded by control. We're bombarded by malice. And because there's nothing inside of us before we're saved, we are overcome. Um, Paul talks about that we're blinded. The people are, are blinded. So in 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says that the enemy has blinded those that are of the world. And so when Paul talks to Titus, he's saying, yes, there are people out there that are blinded, that are under the control of lies, malice, fear, control, and so forth. But what Paul has just said in those four verses is we are no longer living on that side anymore. What we live is a completely different side. We live on this side as new creation, where the power of the Holy Spirit resides in us, where we've had encounters with God and the love of God is within us. And as a result of that, what happens from the inside works outwards. If you think about a classic example that shows this is what Jesus had when he was on the boat asleep in the midst of the storm. The outside is up in arms and turmoil. And what happens is that Jesus gets woken up and he looks out and out of the power of God within him, he speaks word and the outside is changed. That's what we are called as Christians, to live from the power of the Holy Spirit within us outwards. So when we go into an environment, the Holy Spirit within us goes out and affects the environment. So what happens as a result? We bring peace into areas which are troublesome. We bring joy into places which are not joyful. We bring hope into areas where there are no hope. We bring patience when everything around us is chaos. And the effect of prayer, as we've already talked to you about, the fact that our prayers can go up and impact the society around us. And so as a result of that, folks, what happens is we are overcomers. 1 John 5. We are overcomers. One of the things I want to realize is that What's on the right-hand side is how we are supposed to live in the transformation of God's doing us. But there are times where we have those lies, those fear, and the deception come against us. I was, uh, Joe's already shared about it, but I was quite impacted about the, 
a video uh, that he sent out about Facebook, about that origin of the song Raise Her Hallelujah. And the idea is the guy who wrote it believed that this was not going to happen. And he says that he saw a giant of unbelief in the spiritual realm, a giant of unbelief. And all that could, he could do was sing out, raise a hallelujah. From the depths of despair, there was something greater inside of him. See, when we have lived on the left-hand side, there is nothing inside us that can overcome fear, doubt. There is nothing that can overcome the lies of the enemy. But we have been saved and there is something inside of us that can overcome. It's a case sometimes we have to find that place where we overcome. I'll share a story. There's been a situation at my work and it's been quite difficult actually. And it's been actually a sense of, a sense of, this is not going to go well. A sense of fear, a sense of, I'm too overwhelmed. And when I saw that video and heard that story of that worship leader, I made a choice. And on my way to work, I just said, I'm going to sing. I'm going to raise a shout. I'm not going to take this anymore, God. I'm going to sing a hallelujah. And having succumbed to overwhelming doubts and fear, I stood in that car. Well, I didn't stood in the car, but I, I was in the car. But in the spirit, I stood up and I say, I'm going to raise a hallelujah. No more unbelief or fear are you going to dictate to me. Amen. And, I, and I sing with my heart. Because I'm not going to allow the lies of the enemy to overcome what God has placed in me. And I, want, I, I felt very strongly, and we're going to probably pray in about five minutes, that there are some people here today that do feel in that position that they are overwhelmed, that they are in that place where hopelessness has sort of crept in. Fear has crept in. Control has crept in. Manipulation, shame. And I want to say today that the power of the Holy Spirit within you is greater. You might not feel it. You might be thinking, well, you don't know what I've been through, Paul. I've been through some dark times. There was a situation about five years ago that was overwhelming. And I will say that the power of Sozo was instrumental in overcoming that because what happens in a Sozo ministry is crucial in getting to the place of what God wants to do in me. And that's the whole thing. The power of God in you is greater than anything the enemy can throw at you. It says... I think it's, I can't remember exactly, but in Revelation it says that actually when we look truly at what the enemy's like, it's as if you're looking at an ant to say, oh, is that how big it is? Is that the size of the enemy? The enemy has no power at all 
unless we give it to him. I'll say that again. The enemy has no power over us unless we give it to him. That's because what Jesus did on the cross, he conquered sin. He conquered the grave. He dealt a final blow to the enemy. The power of the Holy Spirit within us is greater than any lies, any fear, any unbelief, any shame. As I found out this week, all it takes is getting in touch and raising that hallelujah, that verse of chorus to God and say, I'm going to praise you and stand in that place where you are greater because you reside in me. And my outlook changed. The whole thing about how things worked changed. And so I'd like everyone just to stand. Can you get into groups of three or four, please? Just get into groups of three or four. And there's two things that I want to, us to pray about. The first thing I'm going to pray, ask you to pray for each other is that sense of that we live out of what's on the right-hand side. We live out of the place of the Holy Spirit. The power of God within us is the overcomer. Because I know there are some people today who feel like they've been overcome. They're in a sense of hopelessness. But I want everyone to be able to pray for each other that we actually get in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we allow that Holy Spirit to flow out of us. If you could do that for the next three or four minutes and then we'll pray for the second part. Okay, go. Everyone today, Father, to be able to experience the sense of the radical transformation that has taken place in every single one of us, to get in touch with that power of the Holy Spirit that's within us, to be able to be those overcomers, Lord, that you have declared that we have. The Holy Spirit resides in us, Lord, that fear will be overcome, that hopelessness will be overcome, unbelief, shame will be overcome because of the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. The second thing I want to pray for is I want to pray the fact that we have an impact in this city. And so I want to be able to have, hopefully, with a sense of hope residing and and faith building up in this place, to start declaring we've seen changes in this city already, but I want to actually pray for more. Be bold. Declare. Whatever God gives you, be bold, declare the fact that we as a church can have an impact and change this culture. Yes, Father God, we believe that we can change with the power of the Holy Spirit within us to change. So just pray amongst yourselves. Be bold, declare for the, this city. We thank you for what you've done in this city already, but we, we want to see more. We want to see more transformation. We want to see more lives changed, more people impacted, things across this city changed for you, Lord God. So just going to hand it over to the worship team, and we're just going to just, again, with that sense of what God's done in us today, we're just going to make that declaration.